Welcome to the NM Talks Healthcare Podcast. On this podcast, you'll find thought-provoking insight into critical topics surrounding the healthcare industry. Each episode features Nelson Mullins healthcare attorneys and special guests who offer a variety of experience in healthcare. Welcome everyone to the uh, Nelson Mullins podcast. Uh, we are discussing today the AHLA participants with Nelson Mullins. Uh, we have several leaders with AHLA, and we thought we'd discuss today our collective thoughts on what a positive impact that AHLA had on our careers, uh, on our ability to practice, on our development as lawyers, and similar matters. So with me today are Trish Marcus. Trish is in our Raleigh office. Um, is an excellent healthcare lawyer across the board and is currently president of the board of directors of the AHLA. Um, Heather Miller uh, is in our Fort Lauderdale and Miami offices, and she is a member of the AHLA Dispute Resolution Service Council. And Christine Worthens out of our Boston office, and she is the vice chair of education of the Payers Plans and Managed Care Practice Group. Uh, I am Tom Moran. I am the host and will uh, accordingly not have any position with AHLA, but will um, ask our participants questions and engage in this discussion. So welcome everybody. Um, I'll start it with uh, a question to Trish, Trish, and I'll expect everybody to um, please chime in with any different thoughts, points, counterpoints, et cetera, and um, ask Trish, when did you first learn of the AHLA and what caused you to join? Thanks, Tom. Um, so I probably first learned of AHLA. Um, I started in private practice in 1996. And I would like to say that I went to the AHLA meeting that year, but I'm pretty sure that I didn't. I'm pretty sure I learned about AHLA in about 1998 because I had moved from one law firm to another with my mentor and now partner, Bob Wilson. And I went to the fundamentals program in 1998. Uh, and at that program, I saw several of my colleagues at the the second law firm that I was in. And so that made, you know, being in a large group a little bit easier, but um, I liked that the people who were running the place, meaning the conference, seemed to be very friendly. I liked that the sessions were really thought-provoking. The, the people who were presenting on the different topics were clearly experts in their fields, and yet part of being an expert is making it accessible to people who aren't. And as a, you know, one and a half, two year lawyer at that point, I thought that the educational component was really terrific. And so it may have been as a matter of course, but uh, I became a member of AHLA at that point and started receiving the materials that were being circulated back in the late 90s. 
And uh, Bob Wilson suggested that you go, and that's sort of how you learned about it? I believe that's right. It might have been Bob. It might have been one of our other um, healthcare partners in that uh, law firm. But yes, uh, there, there was a general consensus that it was a very good training ground for um, young health lawyers. I noticed that Heather yawned during your response, so it's, perhaps it's time to call on on Heather to keep her engaged. <laughs> Heather, what is uh, when did you first learn of the AHLA, um, and what was your impetus for joining? I think I learned about the AHLA sometime around 2006 when I switched my practice area from litigation to healthcare. And there were several lawyers at the firm at the time who were actively involved with the AHLA. So I knew right away how well regarded the organization was for putting out high level content for education and also the camaraderie that was available by going to events and meeting others that practice within the same sector. And we actually had several lawyers that would speak frequently at the AHLA. So as a baby lawyer, when I moved over from litigation to healthcare, AHLA was synonymous with practicing healthcare. You didn't practice without being involved in the AHLA. It was sort of a condition precedent, wasn't it? If you weren't in the AHLA, you almost weren't worthy to take on these matters at the time, or at least it felt that way. Um, and 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 I agree. Well, I have heard such words as thought-provoking and accessible, um, a lot of camaraderie um, and uh, high-level content. And I I agree uh, with uh, those uh, comments related to the speakers and the presentations that I went to. And it was about the same time frame that I started going as as you, Trish, in the uh, mid '90s. Um, Christine, what about you? When did you start participating? And how did you um, uh, come about uh, doing so? So I came about my involvement with AHLA in 2010, which is when I moved from private practice to in-house and was for the first time completely immersed in healthcare law. Prior to that, I had been a tax and ERISA lawyer for 12 years. Um, 2010 was not only synonymous with my move in house, but it was also when the Affordable Care Act was implemented. So this whole new world of value-based reimbursement and ACOs uh, was um, part of my work scope under the Senior Vice President and General Counsel where I was in house. And I found it to be not only just a great resource for educational content, um, but a way to get to know other folks. And as we were all learning about these new things together, um, I just found it to be a wealth of um, opportunity in terms of building relationships, but also uh, in terms of thoughts and things of that nature um, as we were I, um, embarking. The um, I didn't realize it was 2010 when um, your interest was... Uh, peaked by uh, healthcare law through circumstances. You went from zero to 100, uh, as 2010 feels like yesterday to me. <laughs> and uh, so that's uh, amazing. And Heather, what year was that for you? Somewhere around 2006, 2007. I'm surrounded by babies, but yes. 
Um, that's fantastic. It's unbelievable the amount of knowledge that uh, all three of you have accumulated in the health healthcare world in just a few years. And so uh, it really is amazing. And I think AHLA probably had a lot to uh, do with that, especially early on. I know that it did for me, the fundamentals program. And I went to several uh, tax programs, uh, tax law for healthcare lawyers, or maybe it was the reverse, healthcare law for tax lawyers, but nonetheless, extraordinarily um, influential on uh, my career as well. I've heard you guys um, talk a little bit about uh, relationships and how important those are inside of the HLA. Trish, can you expand upon that a little bit? Sure, <clears throat> I'll certainly try to. Um, I would say that when I became more actively involved in the AHLA, which was probably around 2005 or six, I had been focusing on regulatory compliance issues early in my career and then pivoted a little and learned HIPAA. So I um, went to a, I think it was the physicians and hospitals meeting something like in something like 2006 and i want to say it was in miami maybe it was orlando it was in florida but anyway um i went there and i participated in a panel lunch discussion with two other lawyers um from different parts of the country who now are close friends of mine and i've um i worked with them while they were also involved in leadership at ahla uh, and we've continued to be friends uh, for that time period. So I, I guess that was the first time I actually participated um, in person in an AHLA effort, but the the warmth of the folks in the different practice groups, and I was part of the health information and technology practice group focusing on, um, you know, health information, data privacy and security. It, it was really striking to me. I felt fortunate that I had chosen a profession where people were nice to each other and didn't scream at one another, which is what I envisioned litigation to be. And in some cases, I understand that is, in fact, what uh, <laughs> some litigators go through. But I was uh, very pleased to have folks who were interested in um, hearing new ideas, bringing new um, members into the fold and having them share their experiences and their thoughts on, you know, burgeoning health law issues. Um, that is, um, uh, that's so interesting that it, it, uh, struck you uh, for the first time that litigators could be collegial and that happened at the, um, at the AHLA and, uh, where you see, uh, uh, competitors actually giving, uh, you know, seminars, uh, together. I remember that occurring, uh, at the end of a very emotional case that I was involved in the Toomey healthcare case where the department of justice and, the Toomey, uh, one of the Toomey lawyers got up and made a uh, fantastic um, presentation um, uh, as moderated. Um, uh, and this was just a few years ago, I think, in Baltimore. So I, I agree with you. It, it does provide a uh, relatively good training ground for showing you this is how people should act and react with one another. Um, and um, and again, you're dealing with the, the best of the best typically um, in my view, when you are watching uh, the the seminars, that's one thing I really noticed, and I think one thing that you noticed, Heather, was the high quality of these uh, seminars. And so, 
I wonder if um, you could comment a little bit about about that. What uh, the nature of what you uh, what you have uh, witnessed there in terms of learning materials and uh, the the how much it had a positive impact on you. So when I first joined the LHL AHLA, a lot of the conferences and the content that were present the content that was presented at the time was was mostly on the intermediate and more advanced level. So if you were a lawyer practicing healthcare on a regular basis and you really wanted to learn more and you wanted to be in an environment where you could collaborate or have a discussion with another lawyer about the law, it was a great place. As you know, right, we have our federal laws, but healthcare is also state specific. And oftentimes we have clients that are located outside of where we practice. So to have content that would be applicable in some instances to state law issues, and then also to be able to have colleagues who practice on a regular basis and are able to have that local sense or that local footprint where they might have access to information or understand why laws were written that are not apparent to someone who doesn't practice in a particular state on a day-to-day -day basis. So between having the more intermediate advanced material that we could digest and then being able to understand it and have that dialogue, in my mind, was so important for growing as a healthcare lawyer. Uh, I'm sure so many have had that similar experience. Um, uh, Trish, you have participated at so many different levels that so many of the AHLA participants obviously were impressed by your participation, your presence, your um, knowledge of the of, of the subject matter that 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 uh, resulted in uh, your election being the leader of this organization uh, for this year, which is impressive. And congratulations! Tell me, please, um, if you can, uh, has as you've moved up. Uh, in leadership positions has those have those activities resulted in a positive uh, development from a uh, client opportunity perspective? First of all, thank you for the congratulations. I like to say that it was a hanging chat issue, but I eked it out. Anyway, um, over the over the years, um, I would say that and let me start by saying that I feel that most lawyers after a while, understand how they feel comfortable talking with potential clients and engaging in business development activities. For better or for worse, I've always enjoyed sort of the, the teaching aspect, um, maybe because I was an English major and therefore thought I was smarter than a lot of my colleagues, which was, of course, silly. But in any event, um, so for me, the ability to write a summary and an analysis of a recent enactment by the Office for Civil Rights, for example, or the ability to um, pair with another attorney and summarize the HIPAA omnibus rule or more recently the ONC's information blocking rule. Those opportunities to me are a way to kind of get the academic slash geek factor that apparently I need 
uh, into play. But I also think that when you are able to sink yourself right into, is what I'm trying to say, a topic or an area and immerse yourself in it and understand it by writing and speaking about it, it gives you more credibility. It also gives you more confidence. And honestly, I don't know why people seek to hire me as a lawyer, but I certainly hope it's because they think I know a little bit of something about health law. Christine, what about you and your activities at the AHLA? How has that enhanced your uh, client opportunity growth? I think that the ability to be able to be part of these regular calls where it's a it's a bit of a larger um, but still a close-knit group um, in terms of thinking about what type of content might appeal to others in the organization and how you reach across practice groups. And inevitably, you're paired with someone or you're reaching out to someone with whom you don't have a relationship. And that kind of blossoms into whether you're working together on an article or you're working together to put together a webinar. It's not just about pushing content, but it's about getting a different perspective. One, I found that even um, even being on the side of working to put together an educational opportunity always affords an opportunity to learn something new. Um, it also affords you the opportunity to build different relationships and get to know someone. And so much of, of, of uh, working with new clients is, is a lot about the synergies and, and how you inter interact with each other. So I think it's 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 just such a wonderful place to uh, meet new people, um, keep those relationships going um, on a longer term basis, uh, learn something new, and all of that enhances and is is a great enhancement for the practice. Uh, agree with you fully. I actually um, have experienced uh, um, a positive in terms of client development because I. Whenever I'm handling a healthcare matter that gets beyond my or my what I believe to be my partner's abilities, I guess earlier on in my career, before I had all all of you three and others like you who could help me, I would use my contacts at the AHLA to join the team and essentially be an extended member of of my law firm on handling a matter, which made me look smart. So I I borrowed people's uh uh, intelligence for my own goodwill selfishly and um, uh, used uh, their input and their involvement with the client matter, um, you know, directly as a, a means by which to, um, you know, enhance the service provided to the client. And I wouldn't have known a lot of those contacts without the um, without the AHLA. And 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 uh, I really, really thank uh, a lot of those when I was especially a younger lawyer uh, 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 people for their help, those participants. Heather, Heather, what about you in terms of um, how has the HLA enhanced your client development experience? It sort of goes back to what I said before about healthcare law having the federal component and the state component and being immersed in a particular state where your practice is all healthcare or predominantly healthcare. And the reason I say that is because I've gotten many calls 
from colleagues of mine who I were was a co-chair with on prior committees who would call me because they would have a client that's looking to expand their business into Florida. And they wanted insight into Florida law. Some of the laws are vague. And when you have so, a resource that's local, there's insight that I can give that someone who is not practicing in Florida on a full-time basis cannot give and vice versa. There were times where maybe I had a CPOM transaction in California and I know that the bar in California is con was considering at one point and still might be that uh, putting more restrictions on whether it's share transfer restriction agreements or similar agreements that related to CPOM type transactions. I could reach out to a colleague from the AHLA in California and say, hey, I know this is the status of these types of agreements as of three months ago. Are you hearing anything else that would prevent me from moving forward with the transaction in the way that I had done on a prior transaction? And and having the ability, I think, to pick up the phone and also be someone that someone else can call is really invaluable. And the AHLA is one of the few organizations that I think brings you know, legal competitors together under one roof where a lot of us can put our egos aside just because we, we know that healthcare is an area where if you give your client the wrong advice, they end up in jail. And so we know how valuable it is to have that other person to ask questions to or to just bounce ideas off of. And I think we're all in this together, all of us that do practice in the area of healthcare. And that's what the AHLA gives us, the ability to connect and have that open dialogue without fear of, you know, someone thinking you don't, you, you know, you're, you're dumb or you don't know something. It just, that's the nature of our practice. It is the most multidisciplinary practice that I'm aware of. It's not self-contained anywhere, as far as I can tell. And only experience and colleagues can help you get your arms around any particular issue. Anybody trying to do it alone on a broad-based scale, I think, could be very, very difficult to do. Um, and AHLA has, you know, been very meaningful uh, in so many people's careers in helping people, uh, practitioners, get their arms around that. So, uh, excellent points. I mean, so, Tom, Trish, I'll give you a Tom, yes, I was please. just going to say, I'll give you an example. I know we're not supposed to be multitasking, but I'd gotten a text message from a colleague who lives in another state saying one of their colleagues is working on a trust in estates matter with someone. And if a medical practice is in Florida, can the wife own it, own the practice with the husband? And you know, did so you answer it during this podcast? They, they, yes, you did. I can tell. I, I plead. Yes. I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so it's for those of you like who that. are listening to this and you need a lawyer who's a great multitasker you know to call heather uh in fact it's on the website uh i multitask with the best of them is that correct heather it seems yes. To be. yes very cool um trish tell us um um about what initiatives you see coming uh, in the uh, next year and personal and otherwise in the AHLA? So the fiscal year 2024, which goes uh, from July of this year to June 30th of next, is the time during which I'll be president. Uh, and I do have some personal uh, goals for uh, 
AHLA's direction during that time. The most important one probably is the um, that the board successfully shepherd our brand new strategic plan uh, forward. We uh, typically have a strategic plan at AHLA every three years, but COVID, as it did with so many things, interfered with the updating or the creation of a new strategic plan. So uh, although late, uh, we AHLA worked with a terrific consultant and did some introspective work and tried to figure out how can we be a better organization? How can we achieve our mission and vision? What the board of directors and AHLA staff were evaluating was, how do we take this organization that's been around since 1967? So we're in our 56th year, I think, or maybe it's 57. I probably should actually have counted before saying that. Um, but how do we take this organization and make it better? We want to, we are an organization that is dedicated to creating a collegial health law community for everyone who engages with health law. And so part of that is making sure that those who may not be lawyers, but who are consultants or economists or technology experts or others who, going back to Tom's comment, participate in the healthcare ecosystem, we want them to understand that they have a professional home with AHLA. We discussed a number of ways that we could make AHLA continue to be an important resource for uh, the healthcare industry and health law uh, clients, including uh, how do we deliver educational content? How should we be focusing on networking um, what's the best way to deliver education? People who are coming out of law school now learn differently than I did when I came out of law school 30 years ago. And so considering several of the ideas and thinking about the available technology, how do we take really hold of the opportunities that these technologies and really the changes in law afford us and make AHLA into something that is an ongoing um, important association for um, health lawyers and health law professionals alike. That's a long answer to your question, but uh, that that is something that we're we're going to be rolling out a variety of different newish looking programs and opportunities over the coming couple of years. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out and how our members and others who we hope will become members. Uh, receive those initiatives. Well, we are excited as well. Uh, the general public and all of the participants in AHLA and members, I'm sure, are as well. I am in particular um, both excited and proud of you three as shining examples of those who contribute to professional organizations like AHLA, um, both give much and receive much in return. Um, and I'm sure AHLA is very proud of y'all's uh, participation. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy and your efforts and your stories with us today. And with that, uh, I will sign off. Everybody have a nice day and we'll talk to everybody soon.